everybody uh, i'm excited about today actually um today i'm always excited when we when yeah. we do a podcast but you know for us you know this is a music-based podcast and and every once in a while we get to dip into something different and for me comic books and superhero culture has played such a huge role in my life i don't know how about you keelan no no keelan no how about you damien of course yeah i mean that's like my go-to is just you know music and comic books is uh, you know, this is the way. Yeah, and Ike. Yeah, reading it, watching it, conventions, cosplay, all that stuff. Yeah, there's cool. there's always just been a, a cool, um, you know, collaboration between music and and it's just it's just been something that's that's molded together very well. I mean, Sensational Alex Harvey Band had the song about Nick Fury, Sergeant Fury. Um, ACDC would always mention Superman and like What's Next to the Moon. Kinks had a song Superman. There's a, there's a bunch of things. Although Iron Man is not one. I mean, I know they used it in the movie, but it's not about the Marvel character. Although Ghost Rider by Suicide, off their first album, that is about Ghost Rider. Anyway, long overdue. Here we are. We have Mike Manalo, who is an expert in all things. What would you say, Mike? Superhero culture, comic book culture? No, just an expert in all things. Oh, no. I love that. <laughs> yes. Even Beautiful. better. Yeah, no, no. Uh, I, I'm definitely, I would consider myself a hardcore nerd, um, nice. if, that, if that makes sense. So I do love a lot of superhero culture. Uh, that's probably been the defining, um, you know, col- uh, hobby uh, since, of my life since I was a kid to now. So uh, it's something that I've definitely embraced. And then while I wouldn't call myself um, too, you know, an expert by any stretch of the imagination, it's definitely something I'm passionate about. So I'll say that. <laughs> that's great. It's funny because like growing up, there was always, you know, it was called comic book culture because that's all we had. That was the only deliverable system other than the old Superman show, some cartoons, the Batman show. But now it is a superhero culture because it's everywhere. There's movies, it's video games, it's just it bleeds into everything and and i think it's amazing you know and i think it's great for newer generations that they can experience it that way i'm a comic book guy so i do love the movies but you know the fact that superhero culture and that is is so prevalent is is amazing because we still you know if you saw like garrett morris playing ant-man on saturday night live as a kid in the 70s you you talked about it for weeks you know what i mean so it's been incredible it is funny how like when Guardians of the Galaxy came out, the movie recently, what, I don't know, five years ago now, mm-hmm. how the, the suite and the runaways and that soundtrack was so great for people like us because we've been listening to the songs for who knows how long, but yeah. kids that are like, you know, just seeing those, hearing the songs for the first time and falling in love with them, I'm like, yeah. It's a great it's gate- Yeah, it's a great gateway. <laughs> to see in that context, too, it just made it so much better yeah some people discover music through that comic book culture now and some you know where it for a long time was the opposite yeah Mm -hmm. 
it's it's definitely crazy because you know when I was growing up, um, even in the '90s, while while comic books kind of had um, you know a, a pretty big popularity, it was still a niche audience. You know, it wasn't as mainstream as it's gotten now. And um, to your point, yeah, I, I think uh, characters like the Guardians of the Galaxy before 2014, no one knew who they were. Even me, a hardcore geek, I'd consider myself a hardcore geek. I I had no idea who these characters were. Um, and then not only did they bust in the mainstream, but because Marvel became so mainstream, it became a platform as a movie to introduce or reintroduce these amazing, you know, uh, songs from the 70s to like a soundtrack of, of, of favorites from the 70s to a whole new generation. Um, so you're introducing both these characters and these comic books and and uh, these songs as well to to all these fans and just popularity just skyrockets because of how relevant uh this sort of culture has has taken over things since uh since the 90s and since before then even so yeah so so for you you're talking with i mean we're gonna jump all over but so guardians of the galaxy (laughs) you don't know those characters yet so you do a deep dive on that do you also do a deep dive on the songs in the movie like keelan said like the runaways and things of that nature sweet Oh, ab- absolutely. I think there was a good two weeks after Guardians of the Galaxy and the soundtrack came out where I was literally just running down a rabbit hole of all of these different soundtrack, uh, sorry, different artists and their different songs. Like I, I listened to um, a lot of Joan Jett and the Runaways, for example, um, prior to Guardians of the Galaxy, but it was all the singles, right? It was yeah, all the most yeah. famous things yeah. um, that you always heard. Um, you know, and, and though Cherry Bomb is a single and a very popular song, you you see it used in the movie in the context of these characters and what it means to these characters. And, and you kind of want to feel uh, what these characters are feeling. So you start going into this rabbit hole of all these other songs that you've largely ignored for your life um, because all you've really been introduced to are the singles and you end up loving um, Joan Jett and the Runaways and, and their whole collection, not just the popular stuff. Um, and I think that you know, popular movies and films and, and comic books that introduce these sorts of uh, artists and and their collections to to folks um, have really had that kind of significant impact. So I could say personally for me, absolutely, yeah. So let's go to your origin story then. So you know, <laughs> what? How do you get into comic books? I mean, do you grow up in California? And what's the story there? Yeah, yeah. So when I was a kid, um, you know, I I think. I wasn't really much into, you know, sports or anything like that. And, you know, to be fair, I'm still still not super into sports and stuff. Um, and, and really the ones that the things that I love the most um, were the things that were introduced to me when I was like a baby. I, I think my my godfather got me a Batman action figure. Um, and I used to see cartoons of like Spider-Man on TV and maybe Ghostbusters and stuff. Um, so I would buy these action figures and, and you know, my mom would would introduced those to me and that's really where i spent most of my time playing with these little action figures of um you know spider-man and and you know batman and stuff and then i'd see commercials toy commercials because they're very good at brainwashing kids at that age with colorful (laughs) action figures um i'd see these toy commercials for the x-men and i'd be like oh my god those look so cool look at that guy he's got claws i really want that figure um, and then you end up seeing a cartoon being created for this, these, these characters, you know, and you get sucked into those storylines and, and X-Men was, was essentially my huge gateway drug. Um, I thought it was just, you know, a cartoon show and action figures at first. And then I started discovering, um, you know, that there, the X-Men had existed 
decades before I, I even caught wind of them in that cartoon show, um, since 1963. Uh, and then I started becoming, um, because I was so obsessed with X-Men at the time, I started becoming more immersed into the history of how the X-Men were created, who Stan Lee was, who Jack Kirby was, um, what the reason for creating X-Men was, and that X-Men wasn't even their start, the starting point of their career. And the X-Men had all these adventures with the Avengers, with with Spider-Man and all this other stuff, who I, you know, I, I was familiar with Spider-Man, but not anyone else. And through the X-Men, I got familiar with everyone else. Through the X-Men, I got familiar with that entire Marvel universe and how Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko uh, would just pioneer these these amazing characters that we're seeing in these $200 million budget movies today. Um, and, and I became obsessed with it. And that was kind of like my thing growing up was just, you know, talking together with me and, and the other kids that weren't into sports, the other boys that weren't into sports, there was about three or four of us at our school. Um, we would just talk about the latest X-Men episode and the action figures and the trading cards and the comic books that we'd read and how cool different characters were. And people kind of made fun of us cause we'd bring in action figures and like, you know, cards and collect them and stuff like that but we're kind of like damn the world screw everyone we just this is our shit we love this shit and we're never going to love like soccer basketball whatever you guys are doing um and uh it became it became that that point of solace for me growing up i think when you know when when kids would make fun of you you had the x-men you had spider-man you had the avengers um when my parents uh were getting divorced i i took to those as well um just as as my uh my sanctuaries as it were um and you know because they played such an influential impactful you know part of my childhood um it ended up just resonating uh, to the point where you started seeing in 2000 movies really good movies being made of these marvel characters i think that's when the first x-men movie hit and then 2002 spider-man hit and it all evolved eventually into the marvel cinematic universe where we're at today so these 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 characters, these worlds, um, you know, they've been a part of my life longer than anything, um, you know, I can I can cite in my adulthood. And I, I think that they probably will, you know, until until the day I die. So, you know, it's just they they're they're a part of me. They always will be. So you mentioned a couple of delivery systems there. You mentioned the animated series, <laughs> which I'm sure kids were, were excited about, especially in the 90s and that growing up. Yeah. In the 70s and 80s, you had the Super Friends, and and you know we, we had a guy on last week, Larry the Wolf, uh, from the Manimals, and he talked about mm -hmm. all of that the old animation stuff. Um, you guys had trading cards. How big of a role did the actual comic books play in your life? And like, who are some of your favorite? We all have our own favorite artists. I'm gonna ask everyone in the room if, who their favorite artists, but who were your guys when it came to the actual comic books? Oh man, um, so I think because the animated series and the action figures were my gateway drugs, the comics kind of came after, and then the, their role in you know my love for superheroes uh, ended up expanding exponentially after I got introduced to it. So I, I really grew up um, on the '90s run of Spider-Man, um, the Todd McFarlane run. And uh, at the time, Todd was just doing these crazy, crazy designs on every cover of the Spider-Man books. Um, you know, we, we were introduced to Venom, we were introduced to Carnage, we were introduced to all these really crazy, uh, badass characters that were just dynamically illustrated and brought to life in every panel. Um, so, so McFarlane was huge, um, in terms of my, my absorption of the comic book medium, um, McFarlane. And because I was an X-Men fan, uh, and it was the nineties, 
uh, Jim Lee was taking, you know, point on X-Men. Um, and those were, it was, it was his story, his, uh, drawings and his illustrations on X-Men that just got me hooked into the characters. The designs were what they, they picked up for the animated series. Um, and then Chris Claremont's words, um, on all those runs, those were honestly my favorite stories. They were just classic, classic core x-men stories you know um them fighting magneto because he was you know pro-mutant supremacy and and they were anti-mutant supremacy but they really were trying to spread this message of uh coexistence between mutants and humans um those were the things that really mattered to me and it was because of chris claremont's words um and and jim lee's dynamic artwork um that really pulled me into that so jim lee uh todd mcfarlane um were fantastic um, you start and, and then, you know, as I started getting older, I started getting into more, um, you know, deep cut uh, authors and, and artists. And, you know, you see a lot of really good work today from, um, for example, Scott Snyder is one of the authors on Batman. Um, he's, he's done phenomenal work. Uh, Jeff Johns as well. Um, and, and these were these were kind of the the writers and the artists that really just got me going. Andy Kubert and jock um some of these people doing some really crazy innovative things with with um comic book art um that we are now seeing as as pretty iconic today um those those were the artists that really got me going in the 90s and then you kind of flash back from you know your initial exposure to the greats like ditko and kirby and some of the psychedelic looks that Kirby would do in like Dr. Strange and some of the, you know, the new gods and some of those other uh, works that he would create. And you, you end up realizing that the, the artists that you idolized in the nineties were only there because of the crazy uh, visuals that were put together by some of those pioneers like Kirby and Ditko. Yeah. For so, me, yeah. for me, like I was re I was looking at comic books before I could read them, right? So mm, yeah. it was Neil Adams for me. Like that was, oh. you know what I mean? Neil Adams. And then for Captain America, I'd go to uh, Sal Basima. Am I saying that right? Is it Sal or Sale? No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> uh, so it was Sal for me with his work run on Captain America. I thought was great. Got older, kind of graduated into Brian Boland because of the, the Judge Dread in 2000 AD. And then Ooh. obviously Alex Ross just changed everything. Um, so how about yeah. you, Damien? I mean, you guys both kind of nailed it on the head. I mean, um, I definitely think uh, Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby are legendary, um, but I do really much like Jim Lee's work, especially with Batman. Um, and um, I, Alex Ross is definitely up there as well. Um, and I, one of my favorite Batmans is Frank Miller. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, I I've been lucky enough. I've you know when I was working with a band, I, I used Alex Ross on some album covers, and I I actually got to watch him do his thing. I filmed it. It's That's there's amazing. a DVD extra so of it. Cool. Um, just You're to watch, me. yeah, just so to watch cool. him work. It, it's unbelievable, Mike. You gotta I find mean, that. Yeah, I I have the original sketches somewhere too in my house. And one, I, I honestly think that like nobody does drawings as realistic as Alex Ross. Just. Yeah. Those were the things that made me really wish for live action interpretations of these comic books because you yeah. saw what Alex Ross was doing. You're like, this would look so good as a movie, you know? Yeah, I kind of um, wish that Marvel's approach and I and we'll get into the cinematic universe and like we're going to ask sure. you about your artist, too. But like I, I kind of wish like the, their first foray would have been to redo like Marvel's, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and I know there's a lot of stuff in those early Marvel films that they took from um, – what is it when they they came back and redid them all? 
And like Brad Pitt was Thor. Oh, um, come on, Mike, you can help me. The Ultimates. <laughs> the Ultimates, yeah. The oh, Ultimates was yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a great series, and and I find a lot of the stuff that was in the Ultimates to be in the the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I like that yes. um, Snyder's going a lot with um, Zack Snyder. By the way, um, I like how he's kind of going with that Alex Ross look for Justice League and. Um, you know, I just, I love his vision. I know that's kind of controversial. All right. We're just going to get straight into it. No, then. no, no. Cause <laughs> Ike needs, you know, he could, yeah, I give us your artist and then we're going to get into this one last one. Um, let's say Darwin cook. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Darwin cooks incredible. Yeah. Well, Mike, I'm, um, Oh, go ahead. I, I'm glad that you brought up Todd McFarlane yes. cause that Todd McFarlane was a huge, huge artist for me. Mm-hmm. Like everything that he did with spawn and all the Spider-Man comics and, you know, um, about venom, I guess like, the true story behind that is a Marvel fan actually came up with the concept for Venom, but hmm. but Todd McFarlane like yeah. is the one who like penciled and, and popularized yeah. it, right? Yeah. Exactly. Um, but yeah, Todd McFarlane is up there for me, um, mm-hmm. and uh, actually Tony Moore. Yeah, yeah, I was a big fan oh, of The Walking Dead. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tony Moore stuff. We used and to, then you guys, you know, all the the classics, all those big ones that came out like year one. Watchmen, mm. uh, Dark Knight, like pro- Jim, prostitutes, and I, we'd go to the comic yeah. book shop. Like when that stuff was happening, it was yeah. so much fun, man. Yeah. Like there was always yeah. something special, and they kind of cheapened the market because they so many variants and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Keelan, do you have any favorite superheroes at all? Or I'm Batman was always my favorite growing up, um, which is funny. It's too bad. Like the DC movies suck so badly today. <laughs> Um, I disagree. <laughs> Dude, the, we're we're going to get into it. I mean, don't get me great. wrong. The 90s Batman movies were amazing. Batman and Robin. Oh, my Batman God. That's Forever. also controversial. Yeah. <laughs> You're so full of Oscar shit. Oscar worthy. <laughs> Schwarzenegger. Well, Keela, have, oh, that's true. Have, Batman you, Forever, yeah. have you like looked into those Kiss comics? I have them. Oh, yeah. you do? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, those are great. I mean, that's... Well, that's the other thing, too. We talked about at the beginning of, of the episode yeah. where... You know, rock and roll mixes with comics, you know, and you have kids. That's a good point, you know. And from from their makeup to the... Like, for me, when the first Kiss album came out... I'm sorry, Keelan, go ahead. No, no, you're right. You keep going. Yeah. So, to me, that first album, when it came out and I was showing that, it looked like a Neil Adams drawing to me. Yeah. And that's... I got... I went from, from you know, Neil Adams' Batman and the Adam West Batman to my, you know, because of my wonderful father, straight to Kiss. Yeah. Straight to Gene Simmons. Mm. And that's uh, when you first heard of Kiss. Not just kidding. Well, yeah, it was. I was. Oh, it was. Really? I'm not going to say the year. I was six years yeah. old. You know uh, what I mean? Yeah. So, see, so, that's the thing. It's like they introduce music. I, I feel like they go hand in hand. Like, uh, maybe not so much like the popular, like you know, what's out now, like with the Marvel universe and even with the DCEU. It's like people aren't, you know, mixing the two as much now. But yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy is a great point that Keelan brought there, up earlier. There was a comic book company called Rock and Roll Comics. Yeah. In what was that, the eighties, I'm like assuming? The 80s, late eighties, yeah. And they did like Warrant, Whitesnake, Aerosmith. Yeah. Uh, like all the bands that I listened to. Yeah. So I mean that's kind of the extent of my comic book. Well, history. They, had, they had a good run. <laughs> so so Mike, are you yeah. down with this uh DC Marvel and the cinematic universe or do you you enjoy them all? Um I, I so I I thoroughly enjoyed the mcu the marvel cinematic universe i feel like um while while there haven't been they they haven't all been 100 percent perfect i can honestly say that i've seen every single out of every single one of them that i've seen i've never came out saying that was a bad movie even thor the dark world um even the incredible hulk 
I, I usually would come out going like, that was pretty decent. It was, it was at least better than your average, like fantastic four movie yes. or a, a terrible X-Men movie or, or Batman and Robin. Um, you know, when, when Marvel makes a movie, even their worst is, is actually highly watchable. Um, so the entire MCU, I have absolutely loved, uh, the DCEU, and I respect people that, that like um, Zack Snyder's vision. That's absolutely acceptable. Um, uh, wait, 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 I'm sorry. Damien right now is wearing a shirt that says Zack Snyder's Justice League, <laughs> just so you know. Ooh, well, I, I appreciate that you like it, Damien. Hey, um, you know, I, it's I not like for everyone. You, even though, yeah, it's, I, I honestly feel like... Um, for me growing up, I think the quintessential versions of Batman um, were, of course, Keaton. Keaton was yeah, my favorite. Tim film. And then yep, Prince yep. doing That's the soundtrack. Horrible. <laughs> and Prince doing the soundtrack. <laughs> and, then, and then also um, Bruce Tim, Paul Dini, and Alan Burnett did Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. Um, and Ooh, yeah. those were those were heavily inspired by the Burton movies, but they, they took on lives of their own and were heavily influenced by like the artwork of Neil Adams and, mm -hmm. and some of the classic Batman, um, Denny O'Neill, you know, writing and, and, and artists. Um, and, and it was just honestly the quintessential Batman for me. I couldn't, I couldn't, I can't get anyone's voice out of Batman when I read the comics other than Kevin Conroy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who was, yeah. Yeah. So, so when, Zack Snyder kind of came and did his take on Batman, his take on the Justice League. It was it was really not what I was kind of going for or what I was looking for based on the comics or the the animated series. So it, it sort of clashed with what I wanted to see in a in a, in a DC universe put to screen. Um so it, it it wasn't my favorite, but I will say that there are some really great hits among the dceu movies i'm i'm a huge fan of shazam oh, yeah. i know that oh, yeah. not a lot of people oh that's not great. a lot of people dig shazam but i, I thought it was great i thought yeah. it was funny as hell yeah, it, was, it was charming yeah. i'm gonna, I'm gonna um, here's a little quick trivia yeah. elvis his whole look in in his jumpsuits was was uh inspired by captain marvel and, and the whole shazam no family yeah oh it makes so, sense yeah. Dude, that's awesome the capes and the yeah, big collars yeah. and the collars yeah. yep so there you go. That's awesome. And the gold I, trim. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, um, that was good. Um, Aquaman, I, I think it's dumb fun, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. And I think the visuals and the colors um, really harken back to a lot of the Silver Age sort of looks of Aquaman. Like, the uh, the way that Atlantis looks. And yeah. um, having, having you know, octopuses play the, playing the drums and stuff like that. That's, yeah, James that's really Wan campy really, Silver Age stuff. Or is it Wan or <laughs> right. Wan? James yeah, Wan. Uh, James Wan? Yeah, yeah. James Wan. Is, I thought he did a really good job with that. Because that's, like, the first real like underwater kind of comic book movie that i've seen that looked mm -hmm. decent you know yeah 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 and and those ones i liked um so i feel like it was it was more post snyder dc that i i started embracing dceu that i started embracing but mm -hmm. the the snyder portions weren't for me I'll yeah that's fine that. like for me i i don't like it so that or you know i know some people are only fans like and they push it on everyone else and they want people to agree with them but like for me i, so I enjoy it for myself only <laughs> yeah only fans no like uh you know like people get offended if people don't like what they like and that's told like for me almost everything i like i'm okay with you know if no one likes it so yeah. well for well, me i'm just waiting for a batman beyond movie oh that'd be amazing <laughs> yeah well, that's like like with Star Wars, like you know, you have the whole thing where people complain about the last three. Well, it's not for you if you're complaining about it. Like mm -hmm. I come from a whole different from the first two. So whatever happens in the the newer ones, it's it's not for me. It's not you know what am I gonna do? Complain about it? I'll yeah, just watch Mandalorian. 
What are you going to yeah. do? Well, do exactly. you want to about it? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, for me, it's funny because the Marvel movies, Mike, you and I have talked about, they're perfect for me. I probably shed a tear the first time I saw Captain America, the first Avenger, because they got it right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and growing up, all you had, all we had were Bill Bixby Hulk and the horrible Spider-Man. And when, <laughs> when they had, you know, Captain America on that show and he was played by Matt uh, Salinger, who was the son of J- J.D. Salinger. Is that the writer's name? That, yeah, that yeah. sounds familiar. Yeah, it's his son. Um, but he, and you know, he didn't even have a, a costume. He wore like a motorcycle helmet. So that's all we had. So when you see it done correctly to, to your views or what you remember Captain America being, it's, it's a big deal. That being said, when those movies are on, except for Endgame, because it's a perfect movie, and and I watch your D, your Bluetooth uh, Ray all the time. Like, uh, I agree with this. Um, you know, when they're the repeats are on, I don't watch the Marvel Universe movies like on TBS, but I'll watch those Zack Snyder's, and I don't even like them, but I'll watch them every time. Yeah, I mean, interesting. Yeah, I, I just enjoy it. I don't know. I can't describe it, and I and I'm totally okay with people hating it. And some of that kind of makes me like it more because I'm like, cool, like it's not what everyone likes. So like if I like it, it's just because that's what I like. But I do not get offended if people don't like it because it's totally fine. As long as I as long as he gets to see his vision through, that's fine with me. And I'm glad and that, that, you know, AT&T kind of picked up that. And, that, they were and that's interesting, Mike, because you, you know, Hollywood, you know what I mean? You, you mm-hmm. work in and out of it. What do you feel about them doing this this Snyder cut? They're putting a lot of money into it now. I think they're doing um, reshoots with everyone, but but Superman or whatever his name is, Henry Cavill. Yeah, Henry Cavill. It it sounds to me like they're actually. It almost sounds like they're kind of going from ground up on this, uh, yeah. which is weird because every single day we're hearing new information, like. Um, oh, you know, we're reshooting scenes with Joe Manganiello as uh, Deathstroke. Deathstroke yeah. We're, oh, yeah. you know, we're we're doing all this and we're doing all that, and and these are characters that weren't actually intended to be in the original Justice League movie, I would imagine. But now that he's got the ability to do it, um, at, at the end of the day, look, if it makes fans like Damien happy, I think that that's great. You <laughs> yes. know, it's all for me. Like, you I, don't I have think, to pander think, to him. He's a <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Well, I, I think that there was it's it's amazing, even though I'm not a huge fan and even though I, I personally had really no interest in seeing his vision of, of Justice League come to life. I do know that it means a lot to people. And and for the record, no one has to explain why they like anything. Yes, um, yeah. If they like it, they should just freaking like it. Good on you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the sheer fact that you sort of at first denied everyone that wanted to see this, that do like this vision, you denied them the ability to see that. Um, that's not really too fair from a, a fan perspective. It's understandable from a business perspective, I suppose, because you saw diminishing returns with uh, Batman v Superman. It wasn't as the success that they wanted. But but quite frankly, you know, if that fan base is going to be that vocal about it and, and campaign for it for years, we're talking about a movie that people were rooting for and, and campaigning for since 2017. It's 2020 now and you're going to get it in 2021. Four years of campaigning and it just never let off reward those people those are the people that that want to see this that are passionate about this and and you know i i suppose let snyder tell his story that's fine but but reward <laughs> the fans you know we'll send you a copy <laughs> yeah so so and, and if you're if you're going to do that then, then fantastic so i'm sorry go ahead no 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 so we we're all lucky enough in this room you know we all grew up with music we love music we we've managed to make that our careers you know we're all in different you know time periods of music in our careers I mean, have you been able to use your love for for comic books and superhero culture in any way professional? 
I wish. Um, you know, I think uh, there was there was one time um, where I got called into a focus group because, um, you know, the studio that I work for, they're planning a superhero movie. And, um, you know, they, they asked hardcore Marvel fans to come in and, and sort of talk about the, the character that they were going to put to screen. And, you know, what they, the, the ideas that they were presenting were just like, what the hell are you guys doing? Mm -hmm. Like, seriously. So, so I would, I, I kind of vocalized my thoughts on it um, and, and what they should do potentially differently to the director of the movie and everything like that. Um, and, and, you know, it, it just sort of fell on deaf ears. They're just like, yeah, yeah. Okay. But what if and <laughs> yeah. I was just like, Oh God. Okay. You know what? Screw it. Have your movie do it. And, and you know what? Apparently it was a, it was actually a pretty successful movie. So I can't, uh, I guess, what do I know? Right. Um, mm. but that was, that was probably the most, uh, the most influence my, my fanboyness has actually had on, <laughs> on where I've worked and, and what I do. Um, I'll say that I get excited when I work on websites that are dedicated to, uh, the comic books that I grew up with and the characters from the comics that I grew up with. But, uh, for the most part, I, you know, I think that that's the extent of it. I'm not really influencing that, uh, a whole lot, unfortunately. I wish I, I wish I was, but, but, but you are until... doing stuff with nerds of color, right? Oh, uh, yeah. The, sorry, the publication that I, I write for. Yeah. Um, I think that that definitely does help having the background, um, and the fan base for the MCU movies and the DC comic movies. Um, and it helps me write a lot more profoundly about them and more passionately about them. And they definitely treat me as the go-to guy for a lot of the, uh, events for DC and, and Marvel. So, um, that, that's had its own reward. Um, I think that that's been kind of nice. So, yeah. So <laughs> in that aspect. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about nerds of color and what is, what is the idea? What is the platform? You got it. Um, so the nerds of color is an online blog. Um, we are org because, uh, we, you know, we're really a nonprofit, um, group. And really what we have been trying to do um, for the past few years is, is shed a light on the underrepresented voices in the industry. So, um, you know, I think that there was a lot of problems uh, we saw prior to, you know, 2020, 2019. Um, we saw a lot of people doing a lot of whitewashing casting um, in terms of having, you know, actors like Emma Stone play Filipino characters in movies or having that Damon play a character in the Martian that was actually Asian in the books. Uh, they made him white from the movie. Um, and I think as a group, the nerds of color really wanted to get vocal about those sorts of issues. Um, but also speak to it in the lens of nerd culture and things that people are really fans of, regardless of whether it's sci-fi or Star Wars or Marvel or what have you. Um, and see if there's ways that we can sort of spread that message about, um, you know, inclusion and diversity in the industry um, you know, especially in the lens of nerd culture and what people are really flocking to see and talking about these days. Okay. Yeah. I mean, cause there are some very obvious ones like in Dr. Strange, right? When yeah. they had the ancient ones, I, I mean, mm -hmm. it went from like being Tibetan to being Celtic pretty much. Right. Isn't that what they did? Yep. I mean, that's is, what but, they did. but that's, too, I think that's more not to use the, the term you use whitewash, but I think that's more to appease China, to be honest with you. That's very possible. And it's it's very much a studio. There's a lot of studio input in that sort of um, in those sorts of decisions. Um, what do we want to do? Which audiences we want to appeal to? And China has that large, large box office. So to to really try and appeal to them, 
they'll they'll alter things just so that they can get that sort of audience. Um, so yeah, agreed. It's unbelievable. Sometimes I mean, it's happening in the NBA. It's happening everywhere right now. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. However, in defense of Doctor Strange, Tilda did a great job. I, I yeah. actually really liked her version of yeah. the Ancient One when you see her back in Endgame. Um, you you kind of loved that. It, it worked out for the best, and it worked out for their narrative. Um, but but thankfully, they're not doing that for something like Shang Chi. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, exactly. If they did it for right. Shang Chi, I'd kill them. If they do it for the Ancient, like they cast well, Matt Damon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I, I, um, it's funny because, like, with Endgame, to me, is like, I mean, to me, they wrapped up everything. And it, it's going to yeah. be interesting where they go now. Like, they're, they have the what's, what's next? What's the big one? Uh, I think Widow's the next one coming up. Which makes zero uh, oh, sense, the by the way. There's no, there's yeah, no need for that. Yeah, we're waiting for that like, almost um, a year. <laughs> that's that's actually you know it's kind of funny um that you mentioned that it doesn't make sense to him because i 100 percent agree when marvel rolled out their slate at comic-con last year yeah there didn't seem to be a game plan behind it every every phase that they've done had like this targeted game plan phase one was to assemble the avengers phases two and three were to set up the infinity saga um and here i'm just not seeing the design when they announced all of these projects it just felt kind of like pandering i don't know i Um, I agree i think that for the first time they were chasing dc like oh wonder woman did well what can we do yeah yeah and and they were they were looking at their own success with something like black panther um which narratively did have a purpose to set up wakanda as a battleground and and a society that you can call back to during the infinity saga and of course uh, you know, rest in peace. Chadwick just did a phenomenal job. Yeah, uh, yeah. But because it was so successful, I felt like they were trying to chase the coattails of that success and say, here's an Asian superhero. Here's, you know, Thor, but we're going to let Natalie Portman be Thor now. And it's female Thor. And it's kind of like you guys don't have to do that. It feels forced. And, <laughs> yeah. and well, really these pandering. comic books have those characters like they don't need to create. Well, that's, someone else. that's like, the it, thing. That, but true. what they're doing cinematically is what they did with the actual books years ago. You know what I mean? Where they're yeah. like, oh, we're going to change yeah. everything and then we're going to have to come back because, you know, yeah. Rob's mm-hmm. Captain America was horrible. <laughs> 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 um, so you mentioned um, the 90s and animated uh, series. I know, like, yeah. for sure, uh, myself and Ike were huge Batman animated series fans oh, yeah. um, and New Adventures. Keelan, what about you? Did you watch any of the like X Men or um, Batman? You know that was on the on Amazing Spider Man, WB Amazing cartoons. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I watched mm-hmm. them growing up. I don't, I don't remember a lot. I, I watched the Batman, Spider Man, X Men. Um, I knew I liked them as a kid, but I grew out of it, and it was forgotten for the most part. But I knew they were great, yeah. and they're all on Disney Plus now, right? Wait. Yeah, I think so. So I wh- think the old Spider Man and X Men cartoons. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 it's my fault. Um, so Keelan, for you, we're just trying to get some, some info from Keelan here because we don't know I don't much know about when he was little. Well, I don't know a whole <laughs> so, lot about comic books. I know, but was it, was it the same as like me? Like, did you go from like Batman to rock and roll or was there, was there something in between? Were you Polly Pockets? <laughs> it, it was, it was a lot of music, uh, yeah. for my childhood. Um, like he mentioned earlier, um, it was a way to, uh, escape the bullying music you know you can go into your comic books or your music um so yeah i mean that's my experience for the music side so that's why it's cool listening to you guys on the comic book side same way i felt about music uh you know have a bad day at school with you know kids bullying you and you go back and you play you know your aerosmith cd or whatever and you don't care what's going on outside your house at that point yeah Yeah. and it is similar right 
Yeah, it, it's always it's all about the escape, and that's kind of where I have the problem. I mean, surprisingly, it doesn't happen that much in music in the songs, but like, I read comic books to escape, mm-hmm. and I stopped reading actual comic books in around 2006 because it became political, and I hate politics. You know what I mean? And I understand there's some real real world politics, but partisan politics to me have no place in comic books, in sports, in music, and that's just me. You know what I mean? It you know. Worldwide politics, like the effect that Black Panther had on the world is amazing to see in real time. It's a character I grew up with and I loved, but to see mm-hmm. kids today have their own Superman now in communities that need their own Superman, it's amazing to watch that happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that's cool with like Static Shock coming back too as a, uh, a new yeah. film because we would watch that on the weekends as well, like the animated series. And, you know, it's cool that it's, they didn't have to, um, you know, go out and create a new character. It's a character that exists and, you know, um, it's just gonna shed more light on that that character and bring it to life. So, yeah, Static was a really interesting case scenario because prior to the cartoon, I had never heard of him. I he had been around for a while. But yeah, same. They took this minor character and they really blew him up and and put him on the forefront. Now Static is is becoming way more popular than ever. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's really cool. Yeah, I, I think a, a petri dish for that kind of stuff, and, and Marvel's been really good at that, like you mentioned earlier with Guardians of the Galaxy. Are they going to strike gold twice with the Eternals? Because there are two things there. I kind of guess that that you know with Guardians of the Galaxy that would be big just by the actors they had, and same with the actors that they have in the Eternals, right? But I think after Endgame, there's a lot of people that are getting a little fatigue. We're starting to get to that point, maybe with MCU, where and it, it'll be good because then you can just concentrate on the hardcore fans and do these kind of stories. You know, I mean, do you, do you see that coming, Mike? Like with the Eternals, or I, I, I mean, I think every genre has its rise and its fall. We saw it with westerns. We see it with buddy cop action comedies, etc. But um, you know, the one thing that I think hurts a lot of those genres and causes a lot of the fatigue is when bad product is being made um when the stories themselves stop being good um or when they become cliched or you know a thousand clones come out uh to really try and replicate the success of something that is genuinely good and it 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 can corrupt the genre and and that's what kind of causes fatigue i think as long as you have good stories and good characters, and that's something that I think Marvel really specializes in, actually, in, in their, their 23-film MCU. The storytelling has been phenomenal. Um, as long as they keep that up, as long as they don't compromise it, as long as they don't cheapen it and stop you know, um, focusing on the stories and start focusing on, like, let's say, merchandising, um, then I think that you could actually extend things a lot longer than your average fatigue. I think it could come someday, but honestly speaking, as long as you keep, I, I think people just want good stories yeah. and they want good content and they want good visuals. And as long as you provide all of them, then I don't think that you'll have fatigue because you could look at a, to, to give you an example, you could look at a studio like Pixar. Um, you know, no one's getting sick of Pixar movies just because they're known for that quality. Tim um, raises his hand. Pixar movie. <laughs> well, because the moms are always so Tim th- raises his hand. <laughs> That's also <laughs> probably because the moms are so thick. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> but definitely, like what you're saying, like they just have the, the storytelling and they yep. you know, feel good movies and everyone wants that. And yeah. Keep up with audience expectations in story and what they want to see, and and you won't get fatigue. Evolve with the audience. That's what matters. I mean, if Marvel can ever get to the point where they make 
Earth X and then Paradise X, I'm in. I hope it's in my oh, lifetime. Yeah. I'm halfway there, yeah. so come on, Marvel, let's get that. But <laughs> I love those books so much. I I would sit there with Alex Ross at, uh, oh, Laura would know, maybe it was some like Applebee's or something in the mall, and we would talk about those. Because he, wow. much like Townsend from The Who, who had Lifehouse, and that just had to become um, who's next because he couldn't get his vision out. I feel that's how Alex Ross was with Earth X and Paradise X. Mm-hmm. Like it made total sense to him. But he could never explain it properly to people. So if you got it, he, you know, he would talk to you for hours about it. Yeah, so. it was ahead of its time is what it was. Yeah. I think maybe if you reintroduced all of that today, people would be on board, especially with how savvy audiences are with, with comic book lore right now. So. Dude, you could do a movie. Bruce Willis is Captain America in that one. That's Ooh, who we based him off of. Yeah. It'd be good. That'd be interesting. Yeah. So, so where do you – like for me, it's like, again, Endgame to me is the, the best name because to me that's Endgame. And I've really enjoyed, much like when, when the, the big two comic book companies, like you, you had all of these like um, Dark Horse comics and all these independents come in, we're seeing that now in the visuals with The Boys and Umbrella Academy yeah. and you know yeah. all of that stuff, which is great. I, I think, I don't know, I don't want to speak for anyone, but Umbrella Academy was unbelievable. Yeah. I loved it. I yeah. think it starts filming again at the end of this year. Yeah, season two. I mean, season you throw in great. time travel and especially about connect. Kennedy assassination. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. I'll watch anything. <laughs> so uh, talk about a, a, a story and and a comic book that lends itself to music too. Yes. You know, Gerard mm. Way, obviously, you know, being my chemical romance, but even just the season two soundtrack, oh God. Exactly. So That's a great point, yeah. Mike. Yeah. I, I forgot mm-hmm. that that's his thing, which is amazing because it's really yeah. well done. I think for mm-hmm. Glenn Danzig, who's always trying to do that kind of stuff, he's he does it in a more cheesy way, but it's like Yeah, word. because that's kind of like I think that's his background, like those kind of movies, you know, like yeah. those B-horror movies and stuff. Yeah. Are, are you a fan of The Boys at all? I love The Boys. Um, I, I thought this season was good. I like the first season a little better, but this season was, was still pretty well done. Um, and I, I think I ended up liking, you know, a lot of the characters a lot more this season than I did the previous season. They fleshed out, for example, The Seven a lot more, yeah. which I thought was interesting. But yeah. I think it's a, this, good, it's a good show. The story they're trying to tell, I think they need more than eight episodes a season. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they kind of dip their toes in the whole they're making movies and they're these big product things and the Joss Whedon stuff. And it's just like, I would like to see more of that. And and I think, for, and I told a couple people this. Like to me, what they did with Homelander, he basically became Harvey Corman from the movie High Anxiety, Mel Brooks movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, okay, we get it. He's a little creepy guy, yeah. but I do love it. I just wish they were like ten to thirteen episode yeah yeah i don't think they do rush a glass of milk ever again though but But it's a great show so so mike do you ever you know try your hand at writing a screenplay or based on characters or your own characters have you ever come up with your own superhero character or anything like that uh you know i think when i was in college i sort of dabbled at um sketching superheroes uh original superhero creations and and i i'm gonna be honest they were all they're all crap um (laughs) so uh i i i would love to try my hand at a screenplay for an existing character that i know and i love like if they asked like not that i'm a screenwriter or anything like that but if Marvel tomorrow came up to me and knocked on my door and said, would you write the, the screenplay for the, the reboot of X-Men? I'd be like, hell yes. I, <laughs> I'd freaking kill that too. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, but unfortunately, um, my own creations, yeah, for some reason, it's, it's so hard because every idea that you can, con- you can conceive of in terms of the superhero genre has, has sort of been done. 
I think the closest thing that I've done in recent years was I, I did write, uh, attempt to write, and it's not like I sold it or anything, because again, I'm not a professional, but I did attempt to write a screenplay indie movie, uh, an indie screenplay about, um, um, you know, a superhero, but told from the eyes of his mother after the superhero has died and this Ooh. journey that she takes knowing that her son was like this, the savior to everyone, but just like a son to her. Um, and it, it oh. was, yeah, yeah. It was, it was an idea that I really liked for a while and then just never revisited. So who knows, maybe someday I, I might, but that was the closest I have ever gotten, you know, recently. I think, to, I think that's writing. great. I, I think, you know, family, when it comes to superheroes, it's really not a big thing. Obviously it's part of the Batman f- story, but yeah. that's because they're deceased. Yeah. I think Superman's family was always handled clumsily. I do like yeah. how the Spider-Man movies now use his aunt. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think she's great in there. So that's great. I mean, that tells me you come from family and that's, that's cool to hear. Yeah. Mm. Um, right. let me ask you this. I'm going to give you a list or you give sure. me a list. Damien hates sure. lists. That's why I look at him when I say this. I do have a couple questions, though, too, so I'll add to your yeah. list. All right. So five top superheroes that you grew up liking. Um, That's the worst am I grammar. Classifying, <laughs> am I classifying individual members of teams like the X-Men or Fantastic Four, or am I uh, just... You tell me. One item? You tell okay. me. Um, sure. Uh, growing up, man, I think X-Men was always number one. Uh, Batman was always number two. Spidey was always number three. Um, Iron Man was number four. Cap was number five, wow. I think. How about mm-hmm. movie-wise, top five movies? Um, growing up or just in general? Just in general. Um, oh, God, Endgame's number one. Um, literally, there was there is no other movie that I've ever seen in my entire life that just gave me everything that I was looking for since I was a kid in a superhero movie. And I've never clapped or jumped up in a theater as loud as I have, um, uh, except uh, apart from Endgame. Apart from the two moments in Endgame where Cap catches Mjolnir, mm-hmm. that was like the huge one where I just jumped out of my seat and was just like, yeah, screen <laughs> the screen. And it was so loud. But the weird thing was you couldn't hear my screams because everyone else was screaming so loud. Yeah. So yeah. it was just, it was such a community experience. And and even to this day, I've probably rewatched Endgame at least 20 times since its release, whether it's on Disney Plus DVD or, or you know, just in general. Um, and and I that that scene just still gets me up off my seat. Um, and then obviously the payoff, because they built it up so much after after, what, 11 years um, when Cap finally says assemble. And yeah. you're just like, yeah, and you see this entire field of just superheroes, like a two page splash page from a comic coming to life in front of your eyes. Nothing will ever give me that much joy ever again in a theater. I promise you. <laughs> um, so I end games end games. Number one. Have you watched down. Batman v Superman? <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> I, I did. And honestly, I, I'm I cringe. I really just, I, I cringe. Uh, like I, I, okay, please forgive me. Uh, we're, we're definitely going to see, I not see eye to eye for this, but when, when the scene happened, when, you know, um, dark, uh, sorry, not dark side, um, doomsday yeah. fires a blast off at Batman and Superman. And then wonder woman comes in with a shield. You're like, visually, that's a really cool moment, yeah. but none of that felt earned for me. That was the problem. I think with Endgame, when you see all of those characters on the battlefield, you know who every single one of those characters is. Mm-hmm. You know what their relationship to one another is as well. 
And when you see Cap saying assemble, since he's never sent, said that, um, this is the one moment that you you should absolutely say it. It all felt earned. It all felt like this was the right yeah, play. I, this was the right thing to do. Um, so, yeah, sorry. No, I, I mean, yeah, for sure. I think that Marvel did a great job of what they did, you know, setting up the movies and all that. And I think DC mm-hmm. did have to, in response, have to rush. And so, I mean, for me, it was like I was okay with that. And, you know, if you're not okay with the fact that they had to, like, rush these characters out to the screen, it's like I could totally see how that would not be your thing or well yeah again that that impact that's dc playing catch up then trying you know marvel i think marvel knew by time they got to maybe civil war or maybe something right before that that they had the the ability to take their time and tell their full stories and i think that's why maybe it was the first avengers and then said we can hold off on this assemble because we have everyone hooked now we can our full plan is out there where dc's like we got to jump on this we got to jump on this we got to make it funny because you know, Marvel's being funny and it's just, and and even narratively, um, you know, because of civil war, uh, because civil war broke up the Avengers that, that makes that moment where caps has assembled even more you know, palpable potent because the, the, the effects of infinity, uh, sorry, civil war, most people at the end of civil war kind of wrote it off like, Oh, it's temporary. Cap said, Oh, if you need me, you can have, they were broken up for, over five years at least seven years because we're counting the five years after the snap uh plus the years between civil war and infinity war it's seven years um wait is that in movie is not... mike is that in movie time because i i, yeah, I yeah. missed in, that in wow the movie, in, oh, i missed in that. the narrative sorry sorry no no yeah. no, no that's great um, and then the mouse in, in the narrative so it they're broken up for so long that when he says assemble it it means a lot from a franchise perspective, but it means even more from a narrative perspective. Um, and that's that's really what I wanted. And and if you were okay with it with the DC universe, that's absolutely fine. But that's really what I wanted. I wanted I wanted things to feel earned. I wanted to know who these characters were. Wonder Woman didn't get a whole lot of screen time before she shows up at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to know who's Wonder Woman. Who who is this iteration of Wonder Woman? I know who she is from mythology standpoint because i'm a comic book fan but from a storytelling and narrative standpoint i want i want you to build on that i want you to give that to me so that all of this makes sense and all of it gives me a feeling of triumph it's hard to do that when you don't know the characters um and that's that's why it didn't work for me as much but again it's it's hard to argue with folks who waited that long to see these icons the trinity on screen for the first time ever and if it gave them immeasurable amounts of joy just to see that, rock on. You know, I'm happy for you. That is awesome uh, because that's never happened. So, you know, I think that it's it's great if you stood up and cheered in the theater for that. I I loved. Um, I have a love hate with with Zack Snyder because I loved Watchmen. Mm-hmm. I mean, I loved that book growing up, and I thought he yep. made basically a frame by frame, and and I I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. I liked some of the stories that they have for you know batman versus superman it's just i didn't like the execution of it you know what i mean yeah and, i mean and i wanted it, more and the thing is too i don't know if you've seen the ultimate cut i mean Zack snyder's not the best at fitting a like you know functioning story in between two hours um but the ultimate cut to me explains a lot more and has a lot more backstory and you know i mean i like the original but even more so i like the you know the uncut version this would be better and even I, even watchmen the uncut version of watchmen is, is great it's like four hours uh, long yeah but it's, yeah 
I mean, I, I, think... I loved I loved that version actually with the Black Freighter yeah, uh, yeah. in inner in, in between scenes. That was that was a really good version of Watchmen. It's really weird because Alan Moore, you know, he doesn't like any of that stuff, and I was just like, dude, yeah. it is so spot on to what you did. You know what I mean? I mean, he's just an angry guy. That's the sense I got. You know, years ago, Anthrax had this song called uh, "I Am the Law," which was about Judge Dredd. And yeah. you know, we all love Brian Bolin, and they want to use Brian Bolin for the. Um, the cover, the sleeve or whatever. And he was like, nope, just grumpy about it. Instead of just saying, oh, that's cool, let's do it. It's like, I don't want my art associated with that. And, you know, some people are grumpy after a while, I guess. But And you, you brought up Timeline a minute ago. Would you ever recommend watching uh, the Marvel movies from the way they were released time-wise or the way the storyline plays out? Would that make sense to I, people? or how, do you, I'm sure you have an answer for this. I, I honestly like the way that Marvel put out the movies, um, the the chronological theatrical releases. That's what I would recommend, because that's the way that they intended for the phases to work. Um, and if you watch it chronologically, that's fine. But I feel like it sort of spoils a lot of those surprises and those answers and those questions that you have at the end of the movies. Um, I, I think the way that they released them in phases and, and the, the, the order of the phases that you watch them in. I think it makes sense as is, and I would honestly prefer um, if I was introducing, like, let's say I, I had a baby nephew that was born a couple months ago. When he grows up, I'm going to introduce him to the Marvel Cinematic Universe in the phase or in the order of the phase release. Yeah, that makes um, sense. Wait, are you yeah. going to start with the Hulk or Iron Man? I'm going to start with Iron Man one, okay. um, and then go into Incredible Hulk. Actually, it, I might I might even just skip the Incredible Hulk, but I don't <laughs> yeah, know. It, it's funny because with like Iron Man at the time, and people people forget this is like it was a B level character with a C level yep. actor playing it. Oh and, yeah, and it wasn't supposed to work. I mean, everyone thinks he's like this huge actor now, but he was so far down at that. And that's another movie, man. Like I cannot believe they started with that and they nailed it. They it nailed his so armor. Good. I just so can't believe good. it. I think something about his backstory like his real life you know what happened with him and his comeback was kind of you know what fueled him to be so good yeah. in that movie because i think yeah that was like one of his i think that was the first real big blockbuster movie he came back in right uh that yes. just skyrocketed him yeah, yeah. Was, he was like casted out of hollywood to a degree and you go back to the storylines in the comics from the 70s demon in a bottle where yep. tony stark is dealing with alcoholism and addiction yeah. and you're just like there's so much of downy in that character before he even accepted the role it was there was no one else that could play him yeah um, perfect and informed him perfectly I, I remember hearing stories that feige and favreau had to literally fight for downey to get casted because uh nobody wanted to ensure downey I bet. he had oh, so many yeah. up and ups and downs um and the gamble just paid off in spades for them it was just oh it's brilliant let's let's talk about the casting i mean mike do you see that there's any miscast people in that marvel universe or even in the in the dc universe uh i i'm more critical about the dc universe than i am the marvel universe unfortunately um i do think that sometimes when you think about uh the casting that went into the dc universe a lot of the things that i criticized them for was flavor of the month casting they they look to see who's hot and who's trending like when they casted ben affleck as batman which paid off by the way i actually i actually do like his iteration of batman as yeah. an actor he's he's pretty good um but when they when they casted him they, I felt like they casted him not because he would make a good Batman, but because he won an Oscar for Argo. Mm. When they casted Jared Leto as the Joker, I don't think it was because, and we know that that was, for me, that was really bad. <laughs> Dude, yeah. Um, That's horrible. They, That's the one I'll agree with you on. <laughs> right? 
we we know that they didn't cast him because he'd make a good Joker. They casted him because he just won an Oscar from Dallas Buyers Club. Um, whereas when you take Marvel's approach to casting, um, they went with let's go with uh, Chris Pratt, that fat guy from Parks and Rec, <laughs> and yep. let's make him Star Lord. Yeah. And people were like, who who is that? Oh, Andy from Parks and Rec. Mouse That's rap. terrible. And it actually worked. It worked so well because they were casting for the character and they're casting for what this actor could bring to the character, like-minded uh, character, like-minded actor. When they yeah. casted Scott Lang, Paul Rudd was barely a household name. You know, I mean, people know who he is, but it's not like anyone goes and rushes out to see a Paul Rudd movie. I do. But Paul, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, don't know, you don't know who you're talking to. Here. Fair. <laughs> Fair. Okay. Um, but, but, you know, I mean, Paul Rudd ended up working out so well as, as Scott Lang, um, he's charming as the role. He's perfect. So I felt like, um, Marvel, I feel like has nailed it every single time. Um, I think that a lot of people will disagree maybe on Brie Larson, but I, I was actually fine with her. Uh, but everyone else, I feel like there's no question. They are the quintessential actors now that we see as these characters when we pick up a comic book or when we hear them or when we talk about them in the context of conversation. You can't un, you can't unassociate at this point Black Widow with Scarlett Johansson. It's it's just too perfect at this point in time. But so I, d- I, that... I don't like that casting, though. Yeah, me neither. And I was going to say, how much do you think of is the storytelling that you're talking about, like, you know, making these characters like likable rather than their acting? 90 percent um i'll throw out a number and say 90 percent of it is the storytelling yeah scar yeah. scarlett johansson honestly she was never my first choice as uh natasha romanoff i think mm-hmm. prior to her they wanted emily blunt and that would have been freaking perfect someone that can um, do a russian accent that's and all john I krasinski <laughs> as captain america <laughs> yeah have they have they made comic books based off the movies now where like when you see tony stark he looks like robert downey jr have they done anything like um, that or do they keep it generic I, they keep it generic for the big players, for yeah. Iron Man, Captain America, because I've been reading, uh, catching up with those comics, especially during the quarantine. I kind of stopped reading, you know, uh, weekly comics after a while and then kind of started going back into it. Um, Iron Man still looks like he did when the, the character was created. He doesn't mm-hmm. really look like um, Robert Downey Jr. But for some of the newer characters or the newer franchises that Marvel's trying to spit out, you could definitely see a lot of you know, attempts to cross yeah. over the, the comic book with the, the film. Uh, they they re-released a Shang-Chi series just to get people familiar with the character before the movie comes out. They literally introduced a Falcon and Winter Soldier comic book series just because there's a Disney Plus show coming out. And that's that's how you know that the comics are kind of getting cash grabby. At this, at this yeah. point in time as well, I, I honestly think that Marvel as a comic book company is not doing as great work as DC as a comic book company, but... Film-wise, it's the reverse. Right, and that's a good question, Keelan, because like Samuel L. Jackson playing Nick Fury oh, yeah. came yeah. from the Ultimates. That's right. Yeah, so mm-hmm. there was a there was a series. I forgot who did it. It was, was 20 Mark years ago. Mark Millar? Yeah, Mike, Mark, Mark Millar. Yeah, Mark very Millar. good. Um, so he, he made them look like Hollywood people. So his Thor, I think he used Brad Pitt as a model, um, but mm-hmm. they used Samuel L. Jackson and a couple other people in there. But yep. yeah. And, that, and go ahead. Go ahead. Continue. No, no, please. Uh, I was just when you were talking about how it's getting a little cash grabby now. I saw like the trailer for WandaVision. That's what it's called, right? Yeah. 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 What yep. do you guys? What do you all think of it? Because I'm not sure what to think. It looks too out there. I'm I'm excited for it. I, I think am excited. At this at this juncture, Marvel needs to go out there. 
Yeah. Um, we've seen what they've done, what they could do so far. So let's just make it crazier. Um, let's take experimental ideas and concepts and let's put them to, uh, to paper. I think when you took like the first Doctor Strange movie, um, it was great and I really liked it. Could you have taken it further? I think you could have. Sam um, Raimi will. I, yeah, I think oh, Sam Raimi's yeah. definitely going to. Um, and I think WandaVision is going to be the start of that. Um, and there's supposed to be like a 50s sitcom or something like that, right? Is that what it I, is? I, I think there's there's little glimpses where they're thrusted into scenarios where they're like 50 sitcoms, 70 sitcoms, all yeah. this. I think it has to do with Wanda's grief and how she wishes Vision was alive and uh, how she wishes life was probably like those perfect tropes from TV. Yeah. Um, it's going to be like cutaways from Family Guy yeah. all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be cool. I'll, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. It, it's, I, I think it looks good. It's funny with Disney Plus because, I mean, they kind of came out early and luckily there was Mandalorian, but like everyone wanted those Marvel shows and now... I mean, they didn't count on, on COVID taking place. No. You know what I mean? So now everyone's just like, well, all right, where, there's got to be something. I was really excited because they had the animated series of What If, and I thought maybe they'll speed that up. Because growing up, those what if, what if comic books were my favorite. That and The Invaders. Those were the best. Yeah, yeah, so I'm excited about that series. Uh, my I, I go ahead. No, well, go ahead. I think the best thing any uh, between DC and... Uh, Marvel, I think the best thing that happened was when Deadpool came out, first rated R movie, <laughs> and then Logan came out around the same time, right? Was it like a year after that? Oh, yep. dude, Logan making me cry, dude. <laughs> uh, those, <laughs> that movie. those were cool because that was like definitely paying attention to the age of um, kids growing up and like how do we keep their attention, and they, mm -hmm. they cut my attention at that point. I'm, uh, the Marvel Universe did a good job of like putting certain things in there to keep it mature. But uh, I yeah. like how they just went all the way into the R-rated movies, and I wish they'd keep doing things like that. Yeah, definitely. And, and you could tell a lot of really sophisticated stories with that R-rating. I think Logan was definitely proof of that. Um, Joker was, was definitely yeah. proof oh, of that. Oh, yeah. Well. Oh God, Best yeah. comedy I've ever seen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is no lie. Keelan and I were on the road, and we went to see Joker in a movie theater. And we were laughing the whole <laughs> Just me and Tim. Yeah, like we're two maniacs. Like everyone's looking at us like, what are these guys laughing about? There's a great give movie. Give them a card. Yeah, I really wish that that movie, Mike, this is my scenario, right? That that yeah. movie is a dream and then the new Batman movie wakes up or the next Joker with Batman like holding him, like punching him and that's what it all all it was. Like it, it opens in Arkham with, with Batman holding him and all of that was a dream. That'd be so Dude, Yeah, amazing. Mike, what's your... That would be yeah, great. What's your view on that? What do you think? Do you think it was just like a, a whole like Arkham dream or what do you what do you think? Um, it's hard to evaluate Joker, to be honest. I, I do think that the events of the film play out pretty straightforward and pretty linearly. I I don't know. I think that the only parts that were probably fantasies in Arthur's uh, head were maybe when he's standing up on top of the car and people are clapping. And in reality, he's being dragged off into the uh, I don't know if that is Arkham. I think if it is Arkham, then then the Insane Asylum, then Arkham. Um, but I think every scenario thereafter is probably just, you know, straightforward. Well, what, that's that's yeah. kind of how I interpreted it. What okay. is weird is, like, you see him banging his head against the, like, prison wall at the beginning of the movie in between, like, mm -hmm. him living with his mom at home. And, like, why would they flash that? No one thinks of it because you're watching the movie at a face value at first. But if you watch it, like, three or four times, you're like, there's a reason why they put that in there, and I can't figure yeah. it out. I, I all I know that. is I was I was eating popcorn with M and M's in it. My first introduction <laughs> of that. 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what we're where we're Louisville or something. I hope they do a Joker too, and I hope it's as good as the first. So. Yeah. Well, I hope they get Batman right because listen, I've been a Batman fan since the TV show. They've never gotten Batman right except for the TV show. I don't care. This is my opinion. Michael Keaton, nope. Any of those Batmans, nope. Uh, who's the last guy? George, Christian you, Bale. Christian Bale. Nope. You didn't like that? I nope. like I I like the Heath Ledger Joker and that whole. It's movie. the easiest source material. You literally just start with year one, and then you could do Killing Joke, and then you could do Dark Knight, mm-hmm. and it's great, and everyone has a good I, time. You know, I I kind of agree with you, Tim. Um, look, I love I love um Michael Keaton Batman. I like Christian Bale. I love Christian Bale's Bruce Wayne. I'm I'm not too keen on his Batman just because of the voice. Yeah, I agree um, with you 100. He was a great I, Bruce Wayne. He's a great <laughs> Bruce Wayne. I I like I actually do like Ben Affleck's um version of Batman. But to me, they were never the perfect Batman. Nope. They were never Kevin right. Conroy. <laughs> you're right. The Bruce. Yeah, you're right. I I yeah. a young Alec Baldwin who I hate. A young Alec Baldwin at the time instead of Michael Keaton would have been perfect. That's all I'm saying. Mm. We, we waited. I did not like Michael Keaton. I agree with we that. We waited so long for this Batman movie, and then we heard, oh, there's a script by this guy, Sam Hamm. The script came out early. Someone someone had it somehow. It was great. And then they announced the casting, and they were like, it's Michael Keaton. So oh. they like switched the uh, the Beetlejuice. Yeah, yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's Michael Keaton, and Tim Burton's doing it, and it's Jack Nicholson. Oh, and Prince is doing the music. I'm like... <laughs> What the fuck? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like for See, me, for me, I was like, "Fuck yeah!" Well, but but I'm talking like as it came out. You weren't even born yet, were you? I, I was born in '87. Oh, geez, you're old. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so for me, it would have been Alec Baldwin as Batman and young Ray Liotta as Joker. Oh, that's not oh. a bad idea. Because there was that's a movie. A at, he did a movie at the time with um, who's the lady who really fucked up her face? Oh, that sucks. Share? Was it Meg Ryan? Someone like that. Uh, Maybe Meg Meg Ryan. Ryan, I forget, but he plays a villain in that movie, and he's the Joker. And I was like, and it it came out a year before. I'm like, that should be the Joker. That's going to be the Joker. And that would have been perfect. Dude, I can't believe they haven't cast William Dafoe as Joker. Like, oh, my God, he'd be insane. Yeah. I I saw a lot of fan art. People really, really are advocating for that. I, you know, it's it's good. I actually... I always wanted Christoph Waltz, um, okay. just oh, because yeah. I don't know. If, I don't know if you guys saw Inglorious Bastards. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, there's there's literally a scene where he's interrogating, um, you know, Di- uh, wh- whatever her name is. I forgot. Um, he's in a movie theater and she tells him the story about climbing, you know, mountains and breaking her leg. And he stops and he laughs, and it's this crazy fucking maniacal like laugh. And you're, I just, as soon as I heard that, I was like, this guy needs to play the Joker. The Joker is charming, but he's menacing, mm-hmm. and he's got the greatest yep. laugh of all time. That's Christoph Waltz. Yeah. Um, and I, that's Hans Landa um, from Bastard. So I, I always wanted him as the Joker. But That's a great um, actor. Yeah. I hope yeah. he does more great characters like that, because him and, and Glorious Bastards, and then uh, when he did uh, Django. And, yeah. He's, yeah. and it, then he's a good guy in that movie, but the same exact personality on the opposite yeah. side of the yeah. narrative. I thought that would, I want to see more from him, and I think it just takes Tarantino's vision as well to create that kind of stuff. I think Mike, True. like you said, the laugh is a big part of it too. Yeah, yeah. I do like Mark Hamill's laugh. Like, oh my god, dude! So like, I get, I get chills. Yeah. So that's the voice that I hear when I read comics. Is Mark's? You know. Yeah. So one thing is Kevin Conroy did make an appearance as Batman in the crossovers on the CW. Um, I mean, he's like has a broken back and is basically a robot. But he did make oh really like Batman, yeah, yeah. Um, hey, speaking of that, why in Titans is Batman like eighty years old? It's that's just the timeline. I mean, 
No. He, yeah. he plays like an eight. He looks like a an older version of Boris Karloff, doesn't he? <laughs> well, was that Ben Affleck's approach too, pain, right? Dude. He's supposed to be yeah. older in the At Affleck that point, movies. Like Dick Grayson is like thirty. I know, but they're acting. Mike, have you watched Titans at all? So surprisingly, that's one of the ones that I haven't seen. I took issue when the first trailer came out, and it was just like, "Fuck Batman!" I was like, <laughs> <laughs> "Yeah, right." Yeah, yeah. What is so? I, I, if it's good though, then I, I might have misjudged it. Should I, should I watch it? You should start it. Hopefully, it gets better on HBO Max. But it was good. Um, yeah. You know, okay. with the limitations they had of that. Um, yeah. Same with with Doom Patrol, Doom which Patrol I really like. Yeah, Doom Patrol cool. Doom Patrol, I liked that yeah. one. I thought was great, but yeah, I didn't watch Titans yet. Okay. But I was gonna ask you since he brought up Mark Hamill, um, and you brought up. <laughs> well, since Ike was bringing up Mark Hamill as you know, the Joker with the laugh. And then you brought up animated series um, earlier. What's your favorite theme song? The X-Men theme song or the animated series Batman theme song? Bat- Batman the animated Dude, series. It's so that, good. that theme song is so good. Like X-Men's great, but it's very kitschy. It's, mm-hmm. it's of its time. It's like 90s, yeah. very 90s. I think there's something about Danny Elfman's theme that is timeless. Yeah. Um, it transcends the decades. And when somebody plays it, you know, it's freaking Batman. Yeah. Um, in 30 years down the line, you'll probably hear the X-Men theme. And you'll like, you'll be like, Oh yeah, that was the old X-Men cartoon show. But you know, kids are never going to remember that. I think, I think people will forever remember the Batman, the animated series. Theme. They put so much production into that series and, you know, yeah. from the the scoring to mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. the actors, you know, the voice actors, and yeah, and like you said, like you'll always think of Ken, Kevin Conroy as like Batman's voice. Yeah, I, I think as as far as they they have failed on the actual cinematic movies, the Batman character has always been treated fairly well as far as an animated stuff. Even going back to the New Adventures of Batman and Robin, which had yeah. Adam West voice. Oh and, yeah, and, yeah. And Burt Ward, but even the Brave and the Bold that came out after the Batman animated series, like. The Batman movies are usually good. I mean, Killing Joke, they put a, a front end half hour that made no sense of like oh, yeah. Barbara Gordon and Batman yeah. having sex or whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what's happening right now? Like, can yeah. I get to the Brian Boland stuff? They're bumping bat was, bits. Yeah. Yeah. It was very weird. I was so disappointed when that came out because um, that is my favorite Batman like comic book story, um, you know, yeah. is the Killing Joke. And they, they kind of botched it. So, yeah. Yeah, I think um, the Matt Reeves Batman is supposed to be kind of like a year one. Um, it looks like it, yeah. Yeah. So what did I, what did you guys think of the trailer? I thought it was amazing. Like, mm. I really like the the you know like his look and how he's you know more of a detective and you know I don't know it was, it was a I'm, lot more violent than I thought it was going to be. I'm excited for that suit and that motorcycle, dude. I'm like, let's do this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it looks really yeah. good. So I was so excited when I saw it. Um, just the sheer fact that you could understand him when he said, I am vengeance. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it wasn't like, <laughs> <laughs> was like this is, that's this is good. This is Batman. Well, let, let me ask so, you this. Yeah. this. This is where everyone fails on a Batman movie. They cannot do the cowl without putting black makeup around their eyes. And there's never a chance where Batman's like, I'm going to get there, but I have to put this makeup around my okay. eyes first. But he does so have it. If they do Batman one. Beyond, man. I know, but all you got to do is put like white glass shells in the eyes and yeah. it'd be more menacing. Yeah. But no one's ever thought to do that. Mm-hmm. But like this is every the thing, movie. This is the thing about Hold this on, one. let me get my makeup. <laughs> I do like <laughs> that they at least show that he has the makeup. So it's like, there's no, well, how does, well, I know, how but it are just his eyes black? fix it. Okay, I understand that, but this one is a year one Batman, so even the suit is a work in progress, and this is and I get that, and that's great, and that was the problem for me with with the first um, Sam Raimi Spider Man, 
like all of a sudden he had this suit, but it it looked yeah. like this high tech suit. Like, wait a second, what's happening yeah. here? He's not the, he's not Cal L. Yeah. No, from the pajamas <laughs> he was wrestling in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Which so, which year one Batman were you talking about? Oh, so the year one comic of Batman, it's like the it's his first. It's basically him becoming Batman. You know, is like, that a is that a movie in the works right now? They did an animated. Oh, animated. They did an oh, animated, animated one in two thousand eleven or something. Um, yeah, it was a comic book arc um, written by Frank, Frank Miller. Miller. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, Sin yeah. City. And it was it was kind of about how Batman meets Commissioner Gordon, how they team up, and he becomes uh, really Batman. Um, like it's, it's a really good story arc, actually. Yeah, that should it's, be it's a movie. Great. And as you could tell, I really like exactly. Batman and Frank Miller. So that's kind of all of my you know like the long Halloween and. Let's talk about Sin City a little bit, Frank Miller. Sin City was oh my god, yeah. That, that was, was another great. great one. Like when Second those books sucked. came out, we were so into them, but. Another movie where they nailed it frame by frame, man. It was yep. perfect. So cool. I had no idea that it was a comic book. First time I watched the movie, and I was like, this is there, There's so a lot cool. of things, like the road to yeah, perdition, yeah. and a lot of those are, are graphic novels that people don't understand, or, or Preacher's a, another one. Preacher Bruce Willis, too. Yeah. Yeah. They um, were that, those are those are among my favorites, honestly. I, I think when Robert Rodriguez said that he wanted to do Frank City, uh, sorry, uh, Sin City, he like said Frank he City. wanted to do yeah. he wanted to do Frank Miller's Sin yeah. City. So yeah. he quit the DGA just to get Frank Miller as a co-director, so that frame by frame everything would be perfect. Wow! And it paid off so well. And a lot of work yeah. too. It's so yeah. great. Um, speaking, of, we were just talking about about costumes, and do you get into cosplay at all? Uh, I, I do lightly. I mean, um, I love making costumes for myself and really becoming the characters. Uh, I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm super professional, but, uh, I, I will, if I'm going to give myself any credit and forgive me if this sounds arrogant, I, I will say that I've, I've found myself to be a bit resourceful when it comes to creating these costumes. Um, I never wear them at conventions because there's just there's too much stuff at conventions that I want to do that the costume just hinders me from doing. So you just um, you just wear them at grocery when you go grocery shopping. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I want people to fear me when I buy a carton of milk. That's good um, for COVID right now. It's like yeah. when I'm cleaning up the streets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I usually wear them to uh, costume parties, events, Halloween yeah. stuff. Um, you know, uh, when whenever I get the chance to wear them, and I'm not actually doing anything busy low-key conventions where I don't have to do anything crazy. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think uh, this quarantine, for example, um, just in light of the fact that I had a lot more extra time, um, I put together a Mando suit um, Ooh, nice. and just uh, started, started rocking that around um, just for the premiere itself. Um, I think we found but, our episode but, artwork. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I, I have fun with that. Well, th you know? this is, I bring this up because Ike is, Ike, would you consider yourself almost a professional? Like your cost, how, what does one of your outfits cost, Ike? Um, so I, I don't really commission full costumes. I've done helmets, 3D printing, and I do like a lot of foam builds and I've worked with Warbla and stuff. Um, but there was nice. a, there was a time when I was commissioning pieces like I'd sell a helmet for like eighty bucks. Wow! You know, have like Whoa. the lenses in there and all. You know, can um, you make so me a Judge Dread? I, I could, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I just built uh, Damien the Robot Man helmet. Yeah, yeah I saw it's that. That's awesome. amazing. Whoa, cool. Yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, I was really big into three D printing and um and building stuff out of foam and like I like to build stuff for myself because I just like creating art and having like different pieces. Like my favorite one is uh, my Batman Beyond. Um, and, uh, yeah, like it, it's just, 
it, it's fun. It, it's yeah. a cool like artistic release, and then going to conventions, and then you know seeing how stoked the kids get that they see you mm-hmm. in costume, and they think you're like real life Batman, yeah. or you know <laughs> whatever. If if so. if we pay you a bit, can you make Robert Pattinson a helmet that he doesn't have to wear eye makeup? Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Mike. This has been bothering me since 1989 yeah. with Michael Keaton. So I appreciate that looking out for me because I swear if it happens again, I'm just gonna that get was, out. That <laughs> was a great comment too because I always got bugged by that thing because I love the Batman movies and then you just see all that eye makeup on. You're like, where was the time for that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and and then they'll so take serious. off the cowl and they don't have it. Yeah. But also scene. they're so serious in the movies too, like you know doing whatever they're doing, and then you're like, you had to do black makeup. Oh, I like the Watchmen uh, TV show when they just sprayed oh, the face. Yeah. That, that was cool. cool. Yeah, just I love that's like that's I not love a bad that idea. show actually. That show really was, well done. that show was amazing of of taking like things that that happen in real life like in Tulsa and stuff like that, and then making it this whole fantasy futuristic world. I, th- I thought it was amazing, and the acting was great. Yeah, yeah, and and the way that they just tied it to the original mythology but expanded on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was smart and it was actually really good storytelling that I know Alan Moore probably hates it. Yep. I thought it did justice <laughs> to his to his actual story. Um, that, Moore, they did a great job. Alan Moore hates everything. It's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even when they do it exactly like it, like V for Vendetta, he hates everything. And that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I love his work. He, he, Alan Moore hates puppies and ice cream yeah. and, you know, rainbows. So and the, and the, whatever. Didn't he come up with the 1606 or whatever that is? Uh, sixteen oh two. I think that was uh, that was Neil Neil Gaiman. Was it Neil Gaiman? Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole three hour thing. I don't understand it. I guess it's you know what I mean. It's just like just say it's the stuff Tim grew up with. That's the sixteen oh two. You know what I mean? Um, Mike, if you could make any comic book movie, what would it be? Ooh. Um, I I would love to start with a good Fantastic Four movie because okay. no one's ever accomplished that. Nope. Um, That's right. In the history of of cinematic storytelling, it's not hard to do. It's it's really an easy you know comic to adapt, and yet we've just seen failure after failure after failure. So I'd love to do justice to that. Um, and and honestly, as much as I love the Batman movies that they have turned out, like. I, I do like Dark Knight a lot. I do think that that's probably my favorite Batman movie. Um, and I love Batman Returns. To Tim's point, they were never really my iteration of Batman. So I would love to do something of a live ad- action adaptation of really that, that you know, Batman the Animated Series type of Batman. And then connect it eventually into a Batman Beyond uh, film and I already have the casting uh, pl- in place for who I wanted as for for all the Batman Beyond characters and stuff. Um, I, I would say, you know what? I'm going to revise my answer. The Fantastic Four movie, yes, but then also Batman Beyond. Okay, and, so and that's live Terry? action. Uh, who's my Terry McGinnis? Yeah. Um, did you? Okay, so this is going to be a very obscure, you know, reference. I don't know if you ever watched Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on Netflix. Yes. Uh, there is a character named Nick Scratch. Um, oh, okay. Who, yeah, Gavin Leatherwood is the name yeah. of the actor. Um, plays a very tortured, brooding soul that looks exactly like freaking Terry McGinnis. Um, I can in, see that for in sure. In that show. And I was like, this kid needs to blow up. He needs to become like Terry McGinnis. He'd be the perfect Terry McGinnis. Yeah. Um, so I, that's I, what I want. I could totally I, say I'm that. sorry I'm laughing. He was just like, did you see that show Sabrina and Damien's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> so creepy. His dude. wife is totally into that. Yeah. So. I, I was subject she to loves, that because of my wife as well. Yeah. I, I just. But that's I, actually a really good show. I could have seen Robert yeah. Pattinson as Terry McGinnis. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I could see that too. I need, I need to see a Judge Dredd with Judge Death and the four uh, Judges Ooh. of the Apocalypse. Wait, what did you yeah. think, Tim? What did you think of um, the Carl Urban Dredd movie from 2000? Oh, yeah. I loved that movie. It was a little bit like that movie, The Raid, but I loved it. Um, Ooh, the Raid is so great. Yeah, but it is. Getting locked in. But other than Stallone, I loved that Judge Dredd too because all of the. Um, ancillary characters were so spot on to those original characters in the book. They really nailed it. Wow. Um, you know, I think that Max von Sydow as the chief judge, which just it, it nailed it. I mean, obviously adding in the comic sidekick with who's L. King's dad? Rob Schneider. Rob, Rob Schneider. Schneider yeah. Was it Rob Schneider? Yeah. Yeah. And then Stallone just taking the helmet off. Like, oh man, if I if I could put Carl Urban in that dread movie, I'd be so happy because <laughs> it really nailed the comic books. And I know everyone's like, what are you talking about? Um, but but it really nailed that movie, and and I thought uh, I forgot who played his his clone brother Rico, but was was amazing as well. I need to watch that. I have yeah. never seen 1995 Judge Dredd. Um, but. Again, I mean Stallone is Stallone, who used to be a great actor, but he's he's not a great actor in that movie, <laughs> and Rob Schneider is horrible in that movie. <laughs> so and and I mean, and not needed either. You know, I mean, yeah. Rob Rob Schneider's horrible in every movie. So. Yeah, <laughs> you can do it. You can do it. That's what you're saying. Judge Dredd, you can do it. <laughs> Speaking of Stallone, I've I started rewatching the Expandable movies this week, and it's so funny how serious Stallone's trying to be with all that plastic surgery on his face. Oh, yeah. And so much plastic surgery. I'm like, you're not cool. You know, that's a, that's an interesting point because if you go on with these Marvel actors being in these Marvel movies, some of them are going to have to start doing that, and it's going to look yeah. weird. Yeah. yeah, it looks really weird. <laughs> I, I forgot Stallone was totally in a Marvel movie too. He was uh, he was Stacker or Gord from D- Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. Wow. oh yeah. that's right. Yeah. That is so kind of crazy. John C. Riley yeah. too. Yeah. Oh, I forgot John about C. that Riley's too. Gonna... <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, we'll see what they do. I mean, I think for for Marvel next, I, I think, like we said, they were chasing something with Black Widow, so they should just put it on Disney Plus because no one really cares and it's not going to do well for them. <laughs> And I'm not saying that because I really I love that character. What I always loved about comic books growing up were were the strong female characters. You know what I mean? That that you kind of yeah. feared. Like you had Black Widow, you had Nightshade, like we talked about last week, and those those mid '70s Captain America things. Um, there was tons of them, and and it was wonderful. And I think I think what what Marvel is doing now and DC and opening up their characters like with the with the Young Avengers or whatever it's called and or what is it the the New Mutants yeah oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but they did it with the Young Avengers too because wasn't in the, in that comic book the Hulk was gay in that one too right I mean I think that stuff's so important what they're doing and opening up heroes for everybody you know yeah and that's I, true and I think it's great and I think that's kind of you know in in going to your site it, the, that you write for Nerds of Color. I think there's a lot of that there, and I, I think it's so important. Like, I'm, I'm be honest. I grew up white kid from Cleveland. I didn't care if I was reading about Captain America or Black Panther. I didn't, I didn't see it that way. I understand why some people need that or, or are, are really excited about that, and I, I do think it's wonderful. I do too. Um, I think it gives people something to root for and something to really look up to. Um, when I was growing up, I was kind of like you, Tim. I, I didn't really see the cultural impact um, behind who these characters were. I just saw the characters and the stories. Um, but then I think recently, last year, 
Marvel actually made its first like Filipino superhero. Mm-hmm. And when I finally read about that and, and collected all the first issues of, of that superhero, I was just, I, it felt, it filled me with so much pride because I was like, Oh my God, there's, there's actually a Filipino superhero now. So that's, that's great. That's awesome. yeah. What, yeah, what yeah. was the superhero? Her name is Wave. Um, she's part of a team called the New Agents of Atlas, which okay. is kind of an all Asian based um, superhero team. Um, they've got Shang-Chi on there. They've got like, um, uh, Day- uh, sorry, um, what's her name? Quake from S.H.I.E.L.D. and a few others um, in the group, like Amadeus Cho Hulk. Um, but then uh, they also created a couple of new characters. One was called Wave and then the other one was called uh, Arrow. And I think Arrow was Japanese. But um, yeah, it was it was this this Asian um, based superhero team. And one of them was Filipina. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, that feels good. I mean, yeah. we, I was lucky enough to grow up at a time where there wasn't a lot of identity politics. So I, I didn't matter. I loved, like I said, the Falcon. I love yeah. Luke Cage. I love, you know, Black Panther. I mean, it got to a point where they had to name everything black before, which was funny. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. But that kind of was how it was in, in the 70s and, and, and shit like that. But it was great. And, and I think, you know, as far as Marvel doing that, I, I think that's great in all age. I can't believe it's taken this long for something like that to take place within Marvel. Yeah. Yeah, as, and you know what? As long as you have a good story behind it, like the Falcon assuming the mantle of Captain America, it made a lot of sense in the in the comics. Yes, um, they had a really good storyline to to turn um, Sam into Captain America, um, and it makes just as much sense in the movies. The way that the MCU sets it up at the end of Endgame, it makes it makes a lot of sense. I know, but I wish um, they. I, if knowing that was the way they're, we were talking about earlier about how Marvel knew they're they're always five steps ahead. But if that yeah. was going to be the plan, was that the actor you wanted, though, to play Falcon and eventually Captain America? Me, no. I think he's good, but I think there are so many people that could have played that even better. I agree. I think that that's, that's, that's interesting. Who would you would like to see instead of um, Anthony Mackie? Um, I don't know his name offhand, but the dude who played Luke Cage on the oh, Netflix series. Yeah. Oh, Mike Coulter. Yeah, yeah that's Mike a Coulter. really good choice. Yeah, he would have yeah. been perfect because he was great as Luke Cage. I mean, let's not talk about how bad Iron Fist was. I mean, oh God, that right? was that was horrible. Yeah, we uh, we'll gloss over that one. But Daredevil was good. See, see, that's the thing. Yeah. That's a character I really want to see in the MCU is the actual Daredevil and Luke Cage. I think those two yeah. are very important. I, th- I thought I heard something about them getting the rights back for Daredevil recently, like in the last week or that two. That would be great. And the dude who they played did. Punisher was yeah. really good. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. John, I John I can't see any exactly. I can't see anyone else but John Bernthal playing that role now. Yeah. He's so yeah. good. He was yeah. he was stellar. Yeah, I'm horrible with actors' names because I could. I want to say something now. Like, who's the guy who played Punisher in the first movie? He was the guy from Rocky three or four. Dolph Lundgren. Dolph Lundgren. Oh, oh, yes. Chicago? Like, come on, man. <laughs> Ridiculous. But yeah, the guy who played him this time, amazing. Yeah. I 100% agree. Yeah. All right, Mike. Um, this has been wonderful, and I have so much more to talk to you about. I think we should do this. We do this all the time. Right? The yeah, we should do this <laughs> weekly because I already have so many questions. Yeah. But I'm I'm so I'm happy to to jump on anytime you guys need. This was a lot of fun. Um, and honestly, if you if you put a dime in the jukebox, I'm just gonna keep going all day. So I, I can do this all day. Well, we're gonna um, go get changed, and we're, quote. and, and yeah. we're gonna call you back sometime in the next couple of weeks because yeah, this is great. And it's, and for us doing mostly music, this is a great um, little avenue to go down because it is connected. It, it's the same. It, it it incites the same thing within people. So. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. I know this is the first time I've talked to a lot of you guys, so it's it's been a, such a pleasure meeting you. And 
I certainly hope that we get the chance to to do this again because it was just it was amazing. For Likewise. sure. All right, Mike. Thank <laughs> you so meeting. much, and Thanks, uh, keep on keeping on. You too. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.